being knowledgeable is really important. Of course, I'm not so optimistic that, you know, I prefer, you know, ignorance is bliss. An optimist, I think, would say, well, you know, there's some horrible tragedies going on, the way animals are treated. What a beautiful opportunity that I've been given that I can actually support these causes. I can educate my friends. I can Hmm. pursue a career in these things. And so, you know, you can't control, obviously, all of these uh, sad things that are occurring around the world. But what you can control is, uh, you know, what you do with your time. Welcome to another episode of the All Things Connected podcast. This is Jared Hocking. So today I'm bringing you a very timely and important conversation with the CEO and founder of Bucket Listers, Andy Lederman. If you haven't already realized from previous episodes, what I'm really trying to do in these conversations is not just tell the personal story of my guest or glean insights from them in their area of expertise like business or writing or meditation or wellness, but discuss larger topics around achieving personal contentment and purpose and what it means to live a meaningful life. And Andy, who is a longtime personal friend, certainly has great perspectives on all of those. He is a consummate optimist and has changed my mind in life in many ways. Andy thinks that optimism really is the superpower that we all need to solve all of our problems in society. And he has grand visions for what life could look like. When I asked him what the number one thing is on his bucket list, he did not go to anything on Earth, but says visiting other planets, just to give you a sense of how he thinks. Why think small, right? We get into other topics, like whether optimism is compatible with all personal circumstances, and whether it's compatible with a commitment to solving the problems in the world, why kindness and giving back should be compatible with a business's long-term goals, what Bucket Listers is doing to uplift the black community as we have a national conversation about racism, how businesses can pivot in seemingly unsurmountable circumstances, and many more. I think you'll enjoy this conversation, and if you have any feedback on guests you would like to hear from, top you would like me to discuss, or anything with the show, please do get in touch with me at jhocking at umich.edu. In the show notes, you will also find a link to Bucket Lister's campaign that we mentioned to send dinners to healthcare heroes in NYC hospitals if you would like to contribute. And with that, I bring you Andy Lederman. All right. I am here with Andy Lederman. Andy, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me and congratulations. This is very exciting. Our listeners will be more you know, interested in the fact that you are the CEO and founder of Bucket Listers. But beyond that, you're you know, obviously a longtime close personal friend and I think someone who has great perspectives on, on a lot of things and really a great attitude towards life and towards your business. So it's, it's really an honor to get you on here. Why don't we start just telling our audience what Bucket Listers is and, and this community of more than 10 million, I think you're approaching 20 million followers, uh, Bucket Listers out there that you've, you've created. Tell me about that. Yeah. So Bucket Listers is a social first media company. So we feature the very best things to do in different cities around the world. So we have an incredible community of explorers. And they look to us to curate the bucket list worthy stuff. So not uh, a mediocre outing, anything that's really, uh, you know, kind of at that caliber of being bucket list worthy, whether they're events or experiences or new restaurants, we really want people to treat every day like an adventure. And so that applies to you being in your own city and finding a new taco shop that just opened down the street or 
uh, discovering in a faraway place on the other side of the world that you want to travel to. So cool. And you're, you're almost 20 million strong at this point. Is that right? We reach about 50 million people every month. So our specialty is certainly social media, specifically Instagram, but we also have a very large presence on Facebook and TikTok, uh, as well as our email newsletters where you can subscribe in any of our cities and receive the best things to do right to your inbox. And then our website, bucketlisters.com. So, you know, every single month we reach 50 million people, which is really amazing. And just a testament to, uh, you know, the, the changing landscape and what digital has provided for people to reach the masses, you know, just from their smartphone. Really, really cool. So, and, you know, I'm curious, oftentimes companies go through a number of iterations as they put things out there in the wild, so to speak. And sometimes the end vision for the company or the end result is entirely different from the the starting point, the initial vision for the company. So a twofold question, what opportunity did you see with Bucket Listers at the time that you decided to found the company that there wasn't already a product fulfilling that need? And how has the company changed and your vision for the company changed as you've progressed and put things out there in the wild, so to speak? That's a great question. So initially, I came up with the idea for Bucket Listers when I was in college. And the concept was to create an online community of adventurous people who wanted to share what was on their bucket list. And by doing so, by sharing with the community, really inspire other people to add incredible new things to their list, and also to inspire and collaborate with each other to help each other kind of, you know, work through your bucket list quicker. And so the idea was to unite people around, uh, you know, commonalities that they shared on their, on their individual bucket lists, and really create a community around that. And so I worked on the concept as a website for you know, a few years kind of just as a side hustle and a passion project. And then in about uh, 2012, Instagram started to get really popular. And so I saw that discovery, meaning finding things to do, finding places to visit, finding new products, all sorts of things, pretty much up and down uh, every single industry and category was moving to social media. So you would see a dish or a new restaurant on social media. And that's where you discovered it. And then you actually went and did it. And so when I saw that Instagram could be the perfect platform to put, you know, our, our bucket list on to uh, a simple guide that people could follow is when our business really took off. And so that's when I created Chicago bucket list on Instagram. And, you know, obviously it was just friends following at first, but uh, as we got better at curating content and picking the right experiences and activities that people could do, uh, we started getting tens of thousands of followers. And so once that model hit, uh, we started replicating it to other cities like New York and LA. And now we're in 22 cities. But, you know, the concept has remained the same. It's all about uniting people uh, in a community around their bucket lists. But the platforms change you know, all, all the time. And so now we're spending a lot of time on TikTok. We spend a lot of time acquiring new email subscribers and web visitors. And so I've really taken the same concept of bucket listers, this community of explorers, and have just waited to see where the trends are going. 
where the audience is going and where uh, the new platforms that are being used. And we figure out how to bring our concept to life on those platforms. So I think it's just all about, you know, figuring out what you're passionate about and then seeing how you can translate that into the platform of the time. And with that mentality, we think that Bucket Listers will be a media company that will, uh, you know, live a lot longer than, than me personally. And this will be a, a media company that curates the best things to do on whatever platform, on whatever planets that we end up going to for thousands of years to come. That's great. And yeah, that it strikes a familiar tone of having an initial vision at the outset for what you want your company to be and being in the right place at the right time to some extent. You know, if, if Steve Jobs or Bill Gates had been born 30 years later, they probably would not have founded Apple or, or Microsoft. Or if they would have, it wouldn't have been as impactful as we know those companies to be today. A great entrepreneur is really someone who combines his or her skills with the environment and tools available to them at the time. And it's great that you took advantage of the growth of Instagram and, and now other social media platforms to, to get out your message and, and to come up with a new company. So you just brought up something which I wanted to ask you about, and I know you have insightful thoughts on, and that is staying true to the long-term mission of the company of bucket listers and not making sacrifices that in the short term appear to be in your interest, but in the long term would not be. So for example, with potential monetary partnerships, talk to me about cultivating that long-term mindset and how having that long-term vision is important to you and important to the success of the company. You know, so many, like you said, so many things, you know, change over the evolution of a business, but the the things that cannot change are a company's mission and their core values. And ours are pretty clear and uh, we are very proud of ours. It's all about trying to bring the explorer out of everyone. It's all about trying to inspire people to treat every day like an adventure. And our first core value is that as a company, we believe that experiences shape who you are. And so with that, you know, core, core value and really uh, mission statement, uh, you know, we try to bring as many great bucket list experiences to life for our followers, for uh, people who don't have access to great experiences for whatever reason, a lot of underfunded schools and things along those lines. And then most importantly, as a team, we believe that having great experiences together as a team is really what binds us together. And so that will never change. Uh, and if it does, if we ever sacrifice on, uh, you know, our love for adventure and experiences, then we won't exist as a company. And so uh, I, another one of our core values is that, you know, people trust us to be their guide and we don't take that for granted. And so every time we post something on Instagram, it might just seem like, you know, an, another Instagram post to some companies, but at Bucket Listers, We've vetted that experience. It's something that we would do ourselves. And every single thing that we post on our social media channels, on our website, on our email newsletters is something that is bucket listers approved. And so we have a very strict curation process to make sure we are only featuring the absolute best things to do. And because we've always stayed consistent and true to that throughout the life of our company, we now have 
fans. We have people who truly believe and trust that uh, everything that we post is, you know, has a certain level of, uh, you know, of quality because it's approved by bucket listers. And so we really uh, have that in, in our, in our list of core values. And I think it's something that can never be sacrificed. And that's why we've had so much success and have built connections with our followers who are now actually fans and members of our community and not just, you know, another, just, just followers on social media. It's much more meaningful than that. That's incredible. And you said something there that I feel could be a quote which is front and center on every office in the country or, or certainly the more successful companies, which is a lot about a company can change, but what cannot change are its core values. That's, that's great. And it sounds like you're not only projecting those values within the company, but really living it. The, the ethos of bucket listers is embodied uh, by that team building and the adventure seeking that you describe that you do as a team, you know, going out and exploring and discovering the best of the city, which starts with the bucket listers team. Really cool. And to add to that, I, th- I think what's so important about that is, you know, one of the most important things about bucket listers is that, the, you know, our actual team does experiences together and we all live and breathe our mission and that attracts the right people. You know, it's a very competitive, uh, it's very competitive out there to find and attract talent. But once you make sure that your mission is mission statement is clearly stated and people can see, you know, they follow team bucket listers on Instagram, which is probably my favorite account. And they see how much fun we have together, how we make it a point to have bucket list experiences together and do team outings on a very regular basis. It attracts very talented people who value that team camaraderie and that commitment to living and breathing an adventurous lifestyle and really making work fun and not having a quote unquote work life balance because working at bucket listers is an adventure in itself. Uh, you know, it's the most important question I ask in every single interview is, uh, is the bucket listers mission something you're personally passionate about? Do you like to travel? Do you like to explore? Are you going to be someone that we enjoy working with? Are you going to be someone that we enjoy going to happy hours and going on adventures and helicopter tours and sailboat charters with? And I think that's what really makes our team and company really special and what makes people excited to go to work every day at Bucket Listers. Right, right. Developing that company culture and attracting people who will make the company a great place to work and who are a great fit, I would imagine, especially early on, is consistent with them proving that they believe in the mission of the company, especially, you know, in those early days where there's not a lot to point to. And sometimes that might mean hiring people not only because they might be the most qualified person for the role, but at times because they've demonstrated that they're very passionate about the mission of bucket listers and willing to work extremely hard because that's what they care about. So we've been talking about envisioning a long-term company and how values play a role in that and making decisions that reflect your values, as well as the importance of hiring people who are attracted to that mission and values. Talk me through the process of developing Bucket Lister's core values and how you codify them throughout the company today. So, you know, like, like you alluded to, the core values and mission of Bucket Lister's has always been 
etched very deeply in my in my heart and mind but uh you know and sometimes that's that's hard to communicate to other people but it is such a necessary and crucial thing that every business does and so i have a great partner dan who's our coo and he's very good at uh organizing thoughts uh into action and whiteboarding and those sorts of things where you really put some structure behind a creative process like that but it was a very collaborative effort with uh, with our team, and we basically, you know, wrote down a lot of the things that we stand for, uh, and we wrote down, uh, you know, what what uh, our curation process looks like and why. Why do we f- feature some things and not feature others? Why is something bucket list worthy or worthy to be bucket listers approved? And putting all of those things on paper really helped us narrow down to five critical core values that are, uh, you know, listed everywhere when people join our company. So I think it's just important that uh, you make it a collaborative process with, with your team and, you know, just kind of asking the right questions about, well, do we stand for this? And if we do, why? And having a really good uh, kind of brainstorm session based on, you know, those questions. Mm, that's really interesting. So not only kind of like projecting a top-down approach, but involving the the frontline employees in the process. Like what what do you think that our company values are? You know, you've you've worked here for X number of months or years, and I think that's really cool. I mean, that's something that, you know, would probably build a lot of spirit of um, you know, buy-in in the organization, buy-in into those principles. Um, that's something that yeah. And even maybe like revisiting those, you know, every now and then every, every year at like a company retreat and, you know, getting new input from new hires would be something that could be cool. And, and, you know, less about like being projected upon about these are values and more like, what, what do you think? What do you think we stand for? That's, that's awesome. Um, so shifting gears a little bit, bucket listers is obviously one of the companies that's, you know, been affected by the recent pandemic and and the shutdown really entirely of our economy. And um, you found an opportunity to to do good during this time. And I want to talk about that in a second. Um, But what's, what's kind of striking to me about your case is that your company is probably just entirely knowledge workers and you're not, you you know, you don't have people working in the service industry or, um, in the healthcare space, still this kind of domino effect of when other companies go out of business, you know, you just see the interconnectedness of, of all of us in society. And I'm, you know, I'm curious, probably tell me about how you've pivoted during this time and, and tell me about the impact that this has had on the company and how, how you've been able to pivot. And I think this would be a great time to talk about the, the recent campaign. Absolutely. You know, so, so prior to Corona, we had hundreds of partners where we would help promote their events and experiences that we deemed as bucket list worthy. So we were working with the ticket masters and live nations of the world, promoting all of their events and experiences, helping them sell tickets and attract new customers. Since basically beginning in March, all, all events, large gatherings, uh, you know, everything was canceled when we were given the stay at home order pretty much across the country. Uh, you know, a lot of our partners are, are struggling in a really bad way. And we lost, you know, a majority of our clients because there was nothing to help them promote. But we had this incredible 
platform where people are still looking to us and trusting us to provide them with, you know, ideas to have great bucket list experiences. And so the first thing we did was put together at home guides where you could cure your wanderlust with these books picked out by our team or these movies picked out by our team. Here are the best places to order delivery from in all of our major cities. Uh, so those types of things to really, you know, obviously acknowledging that this was a horrible situation, but also saying, hey, let's make the best of our time at home. And there's still fun to be had. There's still fun Zoom ideas you can have with your friends or on a virtual date where you can pretend you're in a different part of the world and we can help you do that. So those sort of things. But even that didn't feel like we were helping enough. And we knew we had this incredible reach and we really wanted to help. And so we thought, you know, the the people that we wanted to help the most were the heroes on the front lines at COVID hospitals. And so we posed a very simple question to our audience. We said, who wants to pitch in $12 to send a delicious meal to one of the healthcare heroes on the front lines? And to our absolute amazement, within one week, we received over $100,000 in donations from our incredibly generous community. And so we've been able to send uh, almost 10,000 meals to the heroes on the front lines, which has been absolutely incredible. And the best part of, uh, or even, you know, another great part to all of this is that we were able to support local restaurants throughout all of this. So there's some really stark statistics out there that perhaps 30% of restaurants won't make it through this shutdown, which is just so sad when you think about the vibrancy of a city and the incredible institutions that have been serving meals for, you know, decades and uh, just really adding to, you know, what makes a city great. And so by doing this fundraiser, we paid full price to all, all of our restaurant partners and we're able to help a lot of them maintain some business to uh, make it through this horrible downturn. So it felt like a wonderful win-win and we had some incredible press and coverage and all sorts of people helping out. Uh, so it was a, it was a wonderful thing that I'm very proud of my team uh, for being able to pull off. To take that one step further, now that things seem to be, you know, slightly reopening, we are providing news about what cities are doing in terms of allowing reopenings for different industries. And we're also putting on our own event series where we're going to be bringing drive-in movies and concerts and comedy shows to iconic venues in cities across the U.S. And so we announced our series last week and we uh, had 80,000 people sign up for the wait list to be notified for when we announce our final locations for the drive-in series. So we're really excited to bring some form of entertainment to our followers in these cities so they can safely go out, enjoy a film, enjoy a concert from the safety of their car and bring the community together this summer. That's so cool. And I feel like that story speaks to a couple of things. I mean, one of the things I take away from that is you know, someone in your position or many of these businesses that are are faced with the same type of challenge that, that you are, which is, you know, it seems like all of our clients have disappeared, our business has disappeared entirely. You know, some people might just 
close the door, you know, throw the key away and just step away. But what you and your team did was you didn't step away. You didn't just give up. You brainstormed about what are the ways that we can continue to provide people with a, you know, an amazing experience. What are the ways that we can use this platform to help others? And I feel like there's a real lesson to on there from that because, you know, this, this experience has been probably just as challenging as any time that any business will go through, hopefully, hopefully ever in the future, but certainly not since, you know, the Great Depression. And there's probably lots of businesses out there that don't have that same mindset that could learn from that about, you know, well, what can we do? And, and it's like that saying, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. It's really cool to me. And then, I guess the, the thing that I would wonder about is, was there any kind of like cost benefit analysis of like keeping people on staff and going through this project and, and just really something that's not making any revenue for you, but is, you know, helping others? Was that a tough decision or, or how did you and your leadership team justify that? Yeah, of course. There was a, a decision that I had to make, uh, you know, committing tons of bandwidth and a majority of our resources to a charitable uh, effort, you know, when we're obviously a for-profit business that needs to keep the lights on and keep making money. But fortunately, we were in a situation where, uh, you know, we had savings and I made the decision that, uh, you know, the, the loss, you know, profit and revenue potential because of this was just worth it. I mean, these are unprecedented times and there were so many people hurting. So I put the charitable efforts uh, ahead of our business goals. But in most cases, they're one and the same. I mean, I think uh, the press and all sorts of other benefits that we received because we did this and the goodwill we created with our community, I think that a lot of people will, when things reopen, will remember what businesses and companies did to lead with kindness throughout this horrible tragedy. And I hope that they reward the companies that stepped up. I'm so personally inspired and feel so much more love to, to companies like Apple for providing, you know, a million face masks to, to the doctors and nurses and to uh, fanatics where they, you know, created the all in challenge and raised $50 million for to make sure that people weren't going hungry throughout all of this. And so when I'm, you know, shopping now, I have so much, you know, love towards those companies that really helped out. So all of these decisions, you know, while you won't realize a uh, direct and immediate benefit to your bottom line, create brand goodwill and, and eventually will be better for your bottom line. And so I think that the two are intertwined and that's why, we will always lead with kindness at bucket listers because of those things. So, and shifting topics to something a bit more personal to you, bucket listers is obviously a company that kind of at its core, your goal is to help people make the most of their lives and, and really find personal contentment and find everything that this discover, everything this world has to offer. So as someone who I've known for a very long time, you've always been someone with a very optimistic mindset and place importance on the, the attitude and mindset that you cultivate and that people can cultivate as kind of a predictor of, of your personal contentment. So how do you think about personal happiness, especially as it relates to running a business and, and going through the challenges and, and accomplishing goals that you have set for yourself 
at bucket listers? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, you kind of nailed it on the head. I just think optimism is a superpower. And, you know, that really pertains to when you're facing challenges as a business. I think it's important as, for a leader to, you know, lift people's spirits, find, find a way out of challenges and uh, mobilize people to kind of see and visualize a positive outcome. Because I think, you know, in order to attain unrealistic success, you really have to believe that you can do it. And I think that really, to me, is the definition of optimism, is believing in, uh, you know, a brighter future, believing in a positive outcome, and convincing yourself of that, you know, which is really optimism, is the only way to work hard enough to actually achieve those goals. So I've used optimism really in every part of my life. And I just think it's the most important thing that people should really train themselves to practice on a, on a daily basis. Yeah. I mean, it comes up, you know, all the time in business, you know, you, you start chasing a dream and like I said, you really just believe in yourself. You believe in your team and you believe that you guys can actually accomplish something and that motivates you to work hard enough to, to actually realize it. Yeah. Wow. You, you just, you raised a lot there that I want to have a conversation with you about one of the things that you just raised is, is this idea of overcoming those limiting beliefs and over, you know, when you first started bucket listers, uh, maybe the feedback was entirely positive, but maybe there were times where you're like, ah, maybe people don't think this is such a good idea or how am I going to make this unique and things like that. And some, mm-hmm. some people might just stop right there and say, yeah, there's already so much out there. You know, this isn't original enough, but I think it takes a certain mindset to, you know, to push, push through those things and push into, yeah, but push past that boundary. Yeah. I think, I think there's a few things at play there. I think, you know, one is optimism and really believing in an unrealistic but amazing outcome and convincing yourself it's achievable. That's really optimism. Another thing is uh, fear of failure. Who fucking cares? You know, I've just, I've just never been afraid to fail. I've started a lot of different businesses and you put yourself out there and, you know, some people never even dip their toe in the water because they're so afraid of failure. And that's just something that you have to train yourself not to, uh, to fear, you know, cause when you, when you're not afraid to fail, I think that's a, a, an amazingly powerful thing. So even you try and either you fail and you don't care or you achieve great success. So I think, you know, just not being afraid to try is a really important thing. And, uh, yeah, I think a, a combination of those two things is just, you know, really a recipe for success. And this probably, you know, gaining perspectives and immersing yourself in in the paths of people that you admire or people who have forged a, a similar path that you're trying to to do is probably important too. Because if you if you're not familiar with that story of, you know, let's just take Elon Musk of knowing how close to failure he was so many times, you might just assume everything along that way was came easy to him. And, mm-hmm. and that's just not the case. And I'm sure people who in, in my field, you know, um, Sam Harris or Tim Ferriss or Joe Rogan, you know, when they first started out, not that, mm-hmm. <laughs> not that maybe I'm, you know, it's, it's probably uh, maybe past peak podcast time to, to become like them, but they probably experienced those same thoughts. And 
you know, just, just recognizing that is, is helpful too, to, to your point about, you know, overcoming that fear of failure, knowing that they, they probably experienced yeah. it as well. I think that's the most important thing is really just having role models and being a role model. I think every great creation or good thing that happens in this world is modeled after someone else. So it's, it's certainly been a, a huge part of my life. I, I owe none of my success or credit to myself. It's more about people I've uh, been lucky enough to have in my life, my parents and other entrepreneurs and other do-gooders that I see their example and I want to follow it. And I think there's nothing more powerful in this world is to uh, set that example to inspire others so that your legacy really, you know, lives beyond you. You're just, you, you set an example for people and, and that's how you can really make lasting change and a, a dent in this world. Yeah, that's really amazing. And one of the one of the takeaways that was most powerful for me from that interview that you did with our our friends, which we'll put a link in the the show notes to, is this idea that anyone can be a role model. You know, you can you can wake up and you might be you you might not have an audience, you might not be a CEO of a company, you might be in a, a different position, an entry level position, but you can still be a role model. Talk talk a little bit about that. How you know, because I, I think that's a really that that is something that could really transform someone's mindset. And it is something that you notice about, especially like customer service experiences when someone is just so positive and so helpful. They've they've probably taken that lesson and realized that that, you know, I'm I'm in this position and I'm going to do the very best job that I can and I'm going to be a role model to my my coworkers. So, yeah, talk a little bit about your your perspective on that and and also what being a role model to you means. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think it's really timely to have this conversation with the Black Lives Matter uh, movement, because I think, you know, you talk about all the incredibly uh, tragic disadvantages that the that are, you know, black uh, community in this country have. And I saw uh, the CEO of Merck, uh, Kenneth Frazier, go on TV and just say, you know, I, I wouldn't be where I am today, if not for uh, I can't re recall exactly what it was, but, you know, essentially he was a high school student and there was a beautiful uh, program that some company created that uh, allowed, you know, uh, young black individuals to have an internship at a company. And it was through that internship, he made the right connection, was inspired by the right mentor. And he owes a lot of the credit that he's achieved. He's the CEO of a huge company to uh, someone giving him a chance like that. And so I think a lot of people are trying to direct their efforts to, you know, be anti-racist and things. And I think there's nothing more noble you can do than, than to mentor, uh, you know, young black people or, or whatever situation it is. But, um, you know, just, just being a role model for people, you have, that's literally the greatest impact you can make uh, for another individual's life. And so, um, you know, as we're trying to construct exactly how we're going to help be a part of the change for this incredible movement that's happening in our country. Uh, one of the things that we're toying with is giving, uh, you know, five, uh, you know, young, young black people, the opportunity to come and shadow me and the other leaders and, and all, all the teams at our company, you know, people who are passionate about the future of media or maybe starting their own company one day. Uh, you know, they don't have those opportunities like the rest of us do, uh, which is so tragic. And so, you know, helping people by being a mentor is just such a special thing that, uh, I think more people should, should think about and, uh, 
really give back to the world by by taking that on for other people. Yeah, that's really powerful. It it reminds me of the uh, idea in Judaism, which tikkun alum, which is to change one person or to to make one difference is to to change the world. And Mm -hmm. you can kind of see that in that story that you told about Kenneth Frazier that, you know, because of that one opportunity he was given, he went on to have a, you know, he provided an example to other young African-American men. And, and, you know, now he's the CEO of this huge company. And previously there were very few, if any, African-American CEOs. And and now he provides that example. So that's just a, yeah, a perfect example of to, uh, you know, to, to, to be that, that, that different changes, changes the world over. Yeah. And, so, and, and, you know, you, you had mentioned uh, the interview that I did on live better. And uh, I think one of the points that I was trying to make is that, you know, you don't need to be Kevin Frazier and, and, you know, inspire and be a role model for tens of thousands of people. It could be someone very close to you in your life. Obviously, parents do this for their children on a daily basis. Uh, but there's just so many people that you can inspire and, and, you know, inspiring one person, like you said, is, uh, is the greatest thing you can do. So really, anyone can be a role model. Anyone can set an example. And so when you're, you know, deciding who you want to be uh, in life, it's just important that you always think about setting the right example for the people around you. And for the lucky people uh, who have a platform to reach, you know, thousands of people, I think that is, uh, is really my main goal in life is to try to set an example for as many people as possible and inspire them to do good in this world. That's, that's the most important thing. And you mentioned, actually, it's funny you use this example on, on the show with Brett and Jason. You mentioned how a barista at Starbucks or a florist could be mm-hmm. a role model. And, but it's, it's funny because I, when in Chicago, I still know the exact location. I, I still know the same person. Every Sunday, I would go into the Starbucks bef- before I was visiting a friend nearby. And this person, he would get there at 5 a.m. every day. And I would probably see him around 1 p.m. Or, or, or noon. So he was already seven, potentially eight hours into his shift. And this person just had the most amazing attitude, just so, you know, enthusiastic, so jubilant, so, you know, cheerful. And that really served, you know, it's, you know, he provided a role model to everyone else about like the attitude that you can have in life. And I've, I've actually, I, I wanted to ask you this for a while and, and my mindset has started to shift about it. And I've come to be, because previously I had a little bit of, you know, qualms with the optimistic mindset, but I think I was conflating some ideas. I was conflating optimism with ignoring the, the problems in the world. Mm-hmm. And I, I, just to give some context. So obviously we are both people care a lot about the suffering in the world. And as we've seen, you know, this week, many people are are angry about human suffering. And and for me, that extends to really all creatures. And I imagine a world where animals are not killed for food and, and, you know, uh, are are not poached for, you know, are treated in, in a similar way to, to humans. And knowing about those issues is, is difficult for me. And I, I kind of conflated these two ideas about being optimistic and, approaching every day, like, like we might say is the best day ever and not being 
not being uh, realistic or, or not acknowledging and trying to do everything you can to make a difference to, to address these problems in the world. So do you think, do you think those two things are separate? Do you think you can be a, a consummate optimist and be someone who is aware of and, and is working to tackle all of the problems that one possibly can? I love that question. Well, I think, I think there's a couple of forces at play here. I think, you know, one, you have to be realist, uh, you know, realistic in the sense that, you know, you can only control what you can control. And I think it's a beautiful thing that you have the opportunity and the privilege to actually affect change about the causes that are important to you. So being knowledgeable is really important. Of course, I'm not so optimistic that, you know, I prefer, you know, ignorance is bliss. Uh, you know, your passion about animal causes, uh, an optimist, I think, would say, well, you know, there's some horrible tragedies going on, the way animals are treated. What a beautiful opportunity that I've been given that I can actually support these causes. I can educate my friends. I can hmm. pursue a career in these things. And so, you know, you can't control, obviously, all of these uh, sad things that are occurring around the world. But what you can control is, uh, you know, what you do with your time. And so I think if you just have the mindset, wow, I can actually be a part of the movement that, you know, gives gives rights to animals and, uh, you know, saves animals and I can spend my career actually working towards these causes that matter to me, uh, I think you'll just have a rewarding life if you have that type of mindset. Yeah. I think someone who is optimistic is more likely to be able to affect change because that person is, you know, striving towards a future that they believe in. And, and that's true of you as well. You know, you're the reason that you have a vision for your company that you believe in is because you, you have the optimism to, to believe that it's a possibility, it's reality. And someone who is pessimistic, you know, might say, well, climate change is going to happen anyway, and we're screwed. And these things are just out of my control. But the the optimistic person, I've, I've actually come to realize I've had a, a lot of thought about this is that they believe that something can be changed and they have that willpower. And actually, mindfulness- It's like the, it's like the Apple commercial, right? Where it's like, uh, you know, it's the crazy ones who uh, think they can change the, the world that actually do. Exactly. Exactly. So- Actually, you know, I've been, I, I was talking with Brad and Jason about this and I made mindfulness a, a daily habit, sometimes twice daily, but, but at least once per day. And I think what I've come to realize is that like, you know, mindfulness and, and gratitude are very, go, go hand in hand. And when you, there's really a, a huge mindset shift that you can have moving from a mindset of I, I don't have enough or I haven't achieved enough or concentrating on those, those things that bother you, the problems in the world to really being grateful and, and mindful about all the things that you do have. So I'm, I'm curious, I know this is an area that you've dabbled in and I'm curious if, uh, you know, what your experience has been in that, if, if you've been able to make it a daily habit and if, if not, what are some of the obstacles then? Yeah. Well, I love that the prelude was uh, a discussion with Brett and Jason because uh, as you know, they're two of my closest friends. I call them my spiritual advisors. And uh, I wasn't very spiritual at all uh, until I met them. And within, you know, seconds of meeting them, we knew that we would have really a lifelong bond. And a few months later, I went to El Salvador with them on one of their retreats. 
And, you know, I was always uh, of the mindset that people who needed spirituality were lacking something else in their life or were trying to overcome something. And uh, I was pretty timid about all of it, but they really opened me up to meditation and things like that and mindfulness. And it's, uh, you know, everyone's kind of on their own path. You know, I, I've meditated in the past. I don't do it regularly. I find that running is really my, uh, you know, mindful activity. Whenever I feel stressed, I'll, I'll go for a run. Uh, you know, we've obviously done, done a marathon together. I love running and that's really how I clear my head. And I feel that I get the same benefit of that others get from meditation when I run. But absolutely, I think, uh, you know, talking about spirituality and uh, trying to, you know, meditate and, you know, discover who you really are is a beautiful part of life that everyone should not be afraid uh, to jump on that journey. That's amazing. And and we talk about with Brett and Jason, those retreats, which we we frame and, and we talk about that opportunity for self-introspection and for analyzing the what one's life and what, what path one is on. And I know that that was an opportunity for you to really take, take a leap to, to start your company, which is, which is really special. And I think meditation offers that same pathway to, to introspection. But, but one thing that I've, I've come to understand, and, and this is inspired by listening to, listening to Sam Harris's podcast is that most of one suffering is born of our own thoughts and not being able to, not being able to, um, separate from those thoughts. And what mindfulness really does, if you, if you become an expert at it, is it, it allows that separation and it, 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 you know, you can stop at the point of, okay, I see this thought. It's not serving me. It's not, it's not necessarily true. There's not evidence for this and, and really move on. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been super impactful and obviously, uh, you've, you've been able to really immerse yourself in that for, for multiple days on, on that retreat. Yeah. I think, um, you know, it, oh, go ahead. It's spirituality, following your dreams, you know, it's all, it's all discovering who you are and the path you're on, the path you want to go on. Uh, Sam Harris is great. I need to listen to more of his stuff, but I saw him speak, uh, live a few months ago. He was incredible. He talked about, uh, a lot about, uh, mushrooms in this. Uh, he, he took, uh, he, I f- forgot exactly what it is, but psilocybin. Yeah. Yeah. But he took like a, sh- a shitload of it and locked himself in a room for, you know, like 24 hours or something. And it, it was just so funny to hear him talk about it, but he, he seems absolutely incredible. And, uh, I know he has the mindfulness app. I need to, uh, spend a little more time with it. It's, it's really life-changing. I mean, you know, it's become a big thing with CEOs of, and very successful people in Silicon Valley with, uh, Headspace in particular. I know that they've gotten a lot of traction, but I, I, I've tried both and I seem to prefer Sam's app and the theory, you know, some of the, uh, the lessons that he has there. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so on this topic, and, you know, this is a, a related topic to kind of being mindful and, and, you know, focus, being, being in the, in the present moment. I'm, I'm curious, you're in a position where you, a lot of your business is based on 
your phone and and actually on Instagram in particular. And there have been some studies that have have kind of shown that being on on Instagram and and sites that kind of display this comparative, you know, so- social comparative comparisons or people being, you know, curating the best version of their themselves and and even just having that there's some research out of uh, Liz Dunn out of British Columbia about like just having a smartphone in a room can decrease the the happiness of the room. But you're you're in a role where almost out of necessity you have to be on your phone a lot. So I'm curious how one, you know, you manage your your screen time if it's something you think about and if you have, you know, any advice for for others. I I know this is related to your the mantra, which is we want to get people off the the phone and into the world. So if if you think being in a role that you know requires having a lot of screen time has any downsides and any advice to others about how to manage that? Yeah, well, it certainly does. I mean, I think uh, people spending too much time on their phones, uh, it's cheap dopamine, and it's certainly an issue and is going to uh, probably only get worse. So I think it's very important for people to manage their screen time. Uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, I'm in a position where, you know, my entire business is, is on my smartphone. There's a lot of numbers I like to check. There's a lot of emails that roll in that, uh, you know, I can just look and see really how healthy or well my business is doing. Um, so I'm probably not the best person to ask about this because I certainly don't have it under control. <laughs> but um, to your point, uh, I take a lot of pride in the fact that you know, we leverage social media for good. And we try to, you know, inspire people to put down their phones and get out into the world and explore and have in real life experiences with their loved ones, because that's really what life is all about. And so, you know, that's definitely a big part of our mission. It's certainly a little contradictory, the fact that we're a social first media company, and I'm a CEO saying that, you know, I don't think you know, the amount that people use their phones is is very good. But there's a lot of good things that happen on your phone, I think, Um, you know, especially throughout all of, uh, you know, this horrible Corona situation. There was so many examples of people leveraging social media for good. John Krasinski set up a news network overnight on YouTube, you know, called the Good News Network. And uh, that would have never been able, you know, to be done. And he spread happiness to probably a billion people. Um, And he was able to do this with a cheap camcorder at home with YouTube. And, uh, you know, we obviously leverage social media to raise money to send meals to healthcare heroes. You know, you could set up a GoFundMe page in a few minutes. And you see some of the things like Kenneth Cole's initiative to put mental health at the forefront of all of our conversations and all the celebrities who have gotten behind it. And so there's so many examples about, uh, you know, the, the world being so connected through our phones and, and through social media where people are using it to have a positive impact. I mean, look at Black Lives Matter. Look at all the traction it's getting. I mean, literally the entire world is changed because of things that were shared on social media. You know, obviously the starting with the horrific video of George Floyd being, uh, you know, killed by, by police. But after that, I mean, you, you can't mobilize an entire world around a, a cause without social media and without all of us being connected on our phones. And mm-hmm. I could go on and on about uh, how much good comes from that. 
and the world being more connected and us being more understanding of people that we didn't understand before. Well, it's it's certainly a very interesting discussion about whether cell phones and the products of those, you know, the products of it capturing our attention to the degree that it has and the yeah, like I was saying that the product that uh, like social media of being on our phones and instantaneous communication, it's it's really interesting to think about whether the benefits outweigh the costs or vice versa. What's what's your opinion on that? Well, I, I'm obviously a little biased, but I think that the benefits do outweigh the the negatives. Think about discovery. You know, every every time I'm a pretty avid traveler and every time I go to a new country or a, a new place, uh I tell my parents and oftentimes they have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, you know, there's locations and countries and beautiful destinations around the world that people are now discovering literally from Instagram. Hmm. And so people are having these grand adventures in places that their parents never even knew existed. And that's one of my favorite, um, you know, things about social media is the discovery component. You know, we, we discover restaurants and we're more well-informed and we discover things far away places and it's all because of us being more connected and i think there's so many beautiful examples of things like that and so certainly you have to use it right and you know you have to you're the one who's really curating the feed on your on instagram so if you're envious of someone if you're following insta models and influencers that make are making you feel bad about yourself you need to be cognizant of that. You need to unfollow those people and you need to replace it with an artist or a poet or a traveler or someone who inspires you. Mm -hmm. And so it certainly takes self-awareness and it takes a commitment to cleaning your feed and, and having the right content, uh, you know, be served to you, but ultimately you dictate that. And so, uh, it's, it's really on you to seek out what's, what's serving you and to unfollow and ignore what's not. And I think if people could do that, then social media and your phones are a incredible tool, the most powerful tool of our lifetime. I, I mean, I started a business from, you know, playing around on Instagram and now it's a, it's a real company. And, uh, you know, that's, that's an amazing thing that I think, uh, you know, is, is in the, control of anyone to really chase their dreams. It's open to access and opportunity for anyone with a smartphone. And so I think the benefits certainly outweigh anything that bad, anything bad that comes from social media or your phones. Hmm. Well, that I, I have to say that doesn't surprise me given your optimistic attitude. <laughs> <And> <laughs> I, I, what you said there is really helpful or, or it's great advice as, as you said, is that it's up to us to determine the way that we, you know, that these, these platforms serve us as, as you, I, the example that you said about following more poets or, or more, you know, social leaders is, is really great because you can, what, you know, you can recognize pretty quickly that, that, uh, following certain accounts are, are inspiring, you know, certain feelings in you. And, uh, you know, sometimes people tend to talk about these things like we're, we're not actively participating in it. You know, there's, there's a lot of talk about, well, you know, YouTube's optimize, optimizing screen time and that's sucking all of these people in. But I think what's lost in that is that, you know, we, we can get off the ride at, at some point. And as, as you just preached just now, recognizing that we 
make choices with with regards to how how we want to utilize them. And I do I do love that idea of just like places that in the world that no one knew were, were so spectacular and getting getting the attention they deserve is really cool. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. So shifting to, to bucket listers or talking about bucket listers specifically, how will you know when the company is successful or, or what, you know, w- what goals do you have for bucket listers and how will you know when it's a success or maybe it's already a success? Yeah. I mean, it's just uh, reaching as many people as possible and, and really bringing out the explorer and everyone. And so, you know, whether you're an adventurous type of person or uh, an avid traveler or not, we really just want to instill in adventure and inspire people to really make the most of every day. And so, uh, you know, I, I started the business with a mission to uh, have people share what's on their bucket list and inspire them to chase those dreams. And that's what we're doing every day. Uh, I don't know if there's a specific moment in time where I'll say, Hey, we we've, we've reached a success or this is what I sought out to do because everything we do is, is in with that same mission in mind. And so, uh, you know, my goal is to create a media company that lasts, you know, thousands of years and inspires people to be the best version of themselves and inspires them to chase their dreams and to travel and see new places and experience new things. And so, uh, you know, I consider us success today because we've done that for some people and we won't stop until we reach as many people in this world. And I'm, you know, obviously working to set up a company that lasts, uh, you know, far outreaches my lifetime. And that can be sort of a Disney, uh, you know, a, a, a media company that just inspires and creates content that makes people feel good. Uh, and, uh, I think that it's, it's a powerful thing that, uh, you know, we, uh, we take very seriously when we go to work every day. I love that answer because you, you just encapsulated and exactly how I've come to think about happiness and, and goal, you know, setting goals or achieving what wants in life as more, more of a system and less of a, a milestone. And you, you, you elucidated that perfectly. And, you know, there, there's this amazing book, which Brett and Jason and I actually discussed called Atomic Habits. And the author of that describes how someone like you and me might set a goal to become or, or to run a marathon. But the real, the real goal there is to, is to become a runner, to become someone who, you know, is in great physical shape. And what you described with bucket listers is that the goal isn't to take the company public one day and, you know, become a billionaire. And it's like this one milestone in time. And then for the rest of your life, you're going to wake up happy because you achieve that. You're already happy and you already feel successful because the company embodies your values and has allowed people to even just one person has allowed people to become explorers and, and to experience everything that is possible in this world. So I, I just love that answer. And I think people could, could really uh, learn from that about looking at happiness and, and uh, self-actualization as, as more of a, a system and living according to your values than, it's than been, a milestone. It's been articulated a lot of different ways, but I mean, I, I, I just promise you that the chase is way better than, the uh, destination, uh, you know, you got to enjoy the journey 
And I think, uh, you know, the, the moderate success I've had in terms of milestones that I dreamed of for so long have never felt as good as actually chasing them. You know, when you think of a new idea and you're fired up and you can't sleep because you're, you know, trying to create something or chase something and you're dreaming and visualizing what the outcome will be is way better than, uh, than actually attaining it. Sadly, it's a sad realization. Uh, Gary Vee says a lot, you know, that you have to just embrace the process. You know, it's not about attaining something. It's really just about that chase and that hustle and being inspired and dreaming and, uh, you know, once you, once you hit the milestone, it's never as good as you, uh, as you imagined, unfortunately, but you know, that takes gratitude as well to remember. It's very short lived. Yeah. Remember when you wanted what you already have is an important thing to remind yourself, but the, the chase is the best part. And so even if you come up short, just, just keep chasing. It's, it's the most fun you'll ever have. Amazing. That's why well, I, I have one last question for you that's maybe not going to be quite as profound, but that is a really profound um, answer, Anne. So I'm really curious to get your perspective on this. You know, we've seen in recent weeks as a result of uh, COVID-19, some companies like Facebook and and Twitter are realizing that uh, a lot of work can be done remotely. And there's proponents out there for a while, like Matt Mullenweg, who founded WordPress that has basically, you know, scaled up an, an entire uh, organization globally. And he talks about how many companies focus on the wrong thing, which is they focus on inputs and, you know, how much time you're in the office and, you know, fa- FaceTime like that rather than your output. So as bucket listers and really society as a whole, gets back to normal functioning. Do you think you might move in a remote direction or, or maybe you're already moving in that direction? And, and what do you think is gained and possibly lost by, by doing that? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, as you know, my two best friends, Greg and Sam, started a company called Remote Year. And so they've been very much at the forefront of the movement to remote for about six or seven years now. And I'm an investor and advisor in that, in that company. So I'm always, I've always been a proponent of remote work. Uh, I personally value having uh, camaraderie in the office and uh, being able to have experiences with my team. Um, you know, that's really at the core of what we do as a company. And so I definitely miss those small interactions. I miss uh, being able to go to happy hours and go on helicopter tours and sailboat with my team, you know, most of us being in New York or our Chicago office. And so those things I miss, but I think that can be replicated with having, you know, offsites and team retreats. Uh, And obviously, you know, you can afford to do so because you're not spending money on office space. But yeah, I mean, you know, productivity has moved to the cloud. I I don't think that we're really missing out on uh, a lot of productivity or anything of that sort because we're all remote at the moment. But I do think there's, uh, there needs to be some hybrid, right? You need to be doing offsites. Um, you know, if you're, if you're saving money on office space, I would encourage, you know, every company consider doing uh, some types of quarterly meetups or whatever you can do. Uh, you know, I'm going to be looking into that as soon as uh, travel is opens up again. But I, I love remote work. I think that ultimately, uh, the most important thing I can do as a CEO is prioritize, prioritize my employees' happiness. And so if they're happier working remotely from a beach in Thailand, uh, you know, as long as the time zones don't 
really mess up things. Uh, I think that, you know, if you want to build a long lasting company where people are, um, you know, happy and inspired and ultimately that will lead them to do better work than being flexible on remote is very important. Um, but I do miss certain things for sure. I mean, I haven't seen my team in a few months and it's, it's, uh, it's great having zoom happy hours and, uh, you know, those types of, we, we have a team meeting every single morning and every single night with the entire team on, uh, on zoom, but, uh-huh. uh, certainly do, uh, miss the office camaraderie. So I think, you know, we'll probably leave it as an option for a while for if people want to continue being remote, but do look forward to the day where I can return to the office and, uh, keep playing pranks on my team and things like that. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. I mean, I'm I'm conflicted about it too because I've been in that setting uh in terms of having a a company that moved almost uh yeah, mo- mostly to a distributed workforce and you're right, there is something lost a little bit going into the office and and not feeling, you know, like you're rowing in in the same boat in the same direction, but there's also huge upside to potentially moving to remote and maybe the like you said, maybe the having the option, having the flexibility is, is key. And the, the, you know, the real important thing is, is focusing on the right measurements as a company. Mm-hmm. So, and you've been super generous with your time and I have really enjoyed this conversation. And I think our listeners will too. We're, we're making this a tradition, um, to ask the same two out of three questions that, you know, um, of every guest and you actually get a, a third, a, a special one. So my first question to you is if you could meet anyone in the world who has ever lived and just spend the day with them, who would it be? Barack Obama. <laughs> not, not much uh, hesitation there. <laughs> I, either, either Barack Obama. Uh, but it, if it's living or dead, it would be my grandparents that I never got to meet both, both my, uh, my dad's mom and father. Um, but, uh, Obama, as you know, I mean, we, we celebrated his election when we were in college. Um, it just felt like such great progress and he is, I just think the ultimate example of a leader. Um, you know, I think there's a, a clear void in leadership in this country right now. And, uh, you know, I've been having a hard time just like everyone else in this country. And the other night, uh, Barack Obama finally, you know, gave some remarks on the movement and what he was seeing. And immediately my, you know, sanity was in check. My spirits were lifted. I was inspired to contribute and, uh, you know, impact the change that he spoke of more than anything. And it just made me feel so hopeful. And since, uh, since I, you know, saw him first on TV, he's always inspired me to be a better person and a better leader and I constantly think about, you know, what he would do in certain situations. And uh, if I could have that impact and just one person, you know, when I'm, I'm on my way out, then I'll consider this a successful life. Yeah, he's he's uh, he would be phenomenal. Um, obviously, we, we share a ton of mutual admiration for him. What uh, if you had just like, you know, a, a half a day to spend with him? What kind of what would you want to do with him? a great question probably you know start with some basketball right you'd be there Uh, (laughs) i'd be refereeing (laughs) honestly just just hang out with him see probably you know shadow him and see uh how he thinks about things um 
you know, to be that calm and cool and collected and ne- never have a scandal as president, uh, <laughs> just, just watching him work for a day, I think would be just, uh, the, the ultimate, uh, thing that anyone could do. Yeah. I mean, the, the one thing that, you know, there's, there's so much to say about him, but the, um, the one thing that I think is just extraordinary is that at the end of every night of his presidency, he would sit down and read 10 letters from citizens across the country to hear what was going on, what the voices of everyday people were saying. And Mm -hmm. he would respond to almost all of them. And there's this book that was published. It's, I think it's called to Obama. Um, And it's just amazing the decency that's communicated through his words and the fund, how fundamental of a, a human being is, you know, just uh, someone who, who truly, truly cares about everyone and truly was inspired to, to make a difference for everyone. And yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. What a, what a remarkable (laughs) human being there, there might never be someone like him. Um, So secondly, if you could solve one problem in the world, what would it be? It's a great question. You know, it's obviously top of mind, but I, th- I think racism. I think uh, the mm. fact that human beings could be so jaded and, and treat people so un- unequally is uh, just beyond tragic. And I, I don't think, you know, we should be proud of this world until that ends. Uh, so, you know, ending racism would, would probably be at the top of my list. Of course, you know, climate change, I think, is just uh, unbelievable how, how self-destructive humanity is being to the the one home that we have um yeah so you know i think both both of those problems can just really be uh we're the only ones who can fix it and uh it's it's mind-boggling to me and and then sorry but i'm gonna have to uh, okay three problems uh, yeah uh is is the is the gun pandemic in this country is just uh something that really irks away at me because you know it's just it's completely uh in our control it's senseless and it is uh it is just so sad to see you know schools being shot up and and children dying and all these things and and us not being able to say as a society enough is enough when really all we need to do is put in you know the right gun control measures and so um that you know, definitely shakes my my optimism, you know, when sure. people people place of uh, you know, when I see so many people in this country place more of a value on being able to bring an AK47 to a capitol building than they do on innocent lives, you know, it's just it's mind-boggling to me. So that that shakes at my optimism sometimes. Yeah, well, the, I think the thing to be optimistic about is that all all three of those things are in every single one of our, you know, control it's it's all about voting for politicians that are on the right side of those beliefs and it's a big reason why i want to be a politician when i grow up when i grow up you know uh (laughs) after i uh you know get get the company in the in the right direction and and self-sufficient um i think that my time would be best served uh being a politician and fighting for those fundamental beliefs that i have you would be great at it. I'm telling you. I mean, I had another question about leadership because you have always been someone who has that what maybe innate leadership and and you've always exhibited that and uh that's a, a an amazing quality and obviously translates to being a, a great politician, but you and you and Barack share the quality of genuinely wanting 
to see the world be a better place. And um, that that will be communicated through. So I, I encourage Great you to pursue that. To receive. Thank you. Yes, brother. I, I encourage you to, to pursue that someday. I, you know, you have my vote. going to need your um, help. So finally, what is, and we're probably going to get more than one answer here. <laughs> what mm-hmm. is the number one thing on your, on Andy's bucket list? It's a great question. Um, you know, I, yes, there's definitely quite a few things. Um, you know, I want to go to outer space within the next few years. That's pretty high up there. I want to, I want to start a family and, and be a great father. I want to hmm. take on, uh, uh, I want to see all seven continents. I want to run all six, uh, world marathon majors. I want to complete an Ironman. Uh, and ultimately I, I just want to make the world a better place. It's how I felt since I was a little kid. And, uh, you know, right now I think the best vessel I have to do that is, is my company bucket listers. So I think about how we can contribute and have a positive impact, but beyond that, it might be politics or other things of that sort, but, uh, just be a good person and help as many people as I can and change the world for the better. So let's, uh, for, for people who are familiar with bucket listers, let's, let's, I love all of those things, but how about if you could do one adventure or, or visit one place, what, what's, what what are you missing from your bucket list? It's definitely outer space. I, I, you know, I've, I thought I was going to go by the time I was 30. Uh, but now I've settled for by, by the time I'm 40. I think it's very realistic that we'll be able to uh, travel in outer space. And it's, it's definitely something I'm working towards. And, uh, you know, so hopefully cool. it'll be a bucket listers partnership with uh, SpaceX or Virgin Galactic. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's part of the reason I wanted to start this company is to be able to do cool, cool shit like that. And so uh, let's let's hope it happens soon. Well, you you really are someone who who thinks big and thinks about all the possibilities out there. And we, we can learn a lot from that approach. Um, and thank you, brother. I'm very proud of you for starting this podcast. I think it's going to be great. We can't wait to, can't wait to see where you take it. And I've always been your biggest fan and you've got, uh, an incredible heart and a brilliant mind. And, uh, I can't wait to listen to the other podcasts and to, uh, support any way I can. Thank you. Anne. And, you know, one thing you said struck me about, you know, we, we talk about a, a lot about um, just making making an impact. And that I think that is what, what we share is just being motivated, like realizing that we are going to die one day and we want people to remember our legacy and the things we did and be inspired by that. And obviously, I still think about a lot our close friend, Adam London, who we lost way too young. Mm-hmm. And he really left his his mark on the world. He has had his blog and he communicated his ideas and his, you know, his enthusiasm. So I, I think um, that's really what life is all about is, is doing things that, you know, leave a mark and will endure long after you're gone. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was, you know, one of the most brilliant people I ever know, one of my closest friends and incredible heart. And I mean, what I remember most is, is whenever, uh, he would see that people were passionate about something, whether that was pursuing a new job or a career change or starting a business, he would just give your, his undivided, you know, brilliant mind to help support you and encourage you and inspire you. And, uh, you know, in his, in his short time here, 
we lost him way too young. He was incredibly successful and uh, so humble and just always wanted to help. And, uh, you know, I think uh, he, he's such an inspiration to me. And I th- think about what he would do in uh, a lot of situations. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he and he and Jeff Cerno, who we, we t- I talk about with Max, one thing they shared is knowing what life is all about. And that is, uh, you know, focusing your efforts outward to, to help others and to, uh, you know, give, give joy to others. That's something that Max and I talked about with Jeff is that it just made him so happy to see others be, be happy. And um, yeah, I mean, Adam just had a, he had great perspectives on a lot. I, I still remember, I actually was looking for it the other day. I couldn't, I, I don't know if his blog got taken down, but he, he had this po- post called, are you busy or, or mm-hmm. something like that. It was like, you know, it was basically pointing out the, the problem with people, you know, thinking it was like a badge of honor to be busy and how they were like, uh, mm-hmm. ignoring people that they cared about or, or, you know, that they, they took it too far and, and being, being busy became this badge of honor. And he, he recognized that, you know, being true to the people who care about you and get, giving them care back was what was important. Absolutely. And, and obviously, you know, I was very close with Jeff and, He's one of the greatest mentors in my life, and he was the ultimate bucket lister. I mean, I spent a summer with him in Colorado with uh, with Max and, and Jeff and, you know, just learning about how Jeff would conquer mountains and conquer business and just ha- had this incredible outlook on life. And, you know, I would always share my dreams with Jeff and say, hey, I want to I start a business. I want to run a marathon. I want to do all these things. And his famous line, of course, was, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I'm wearing the bracelet as I speak. I've never taken it off. It's just, what are you waiting for? And every time I'm, you know, face a fork in the road and I don't know which way to go, I always choose the boulder option because that's what Jeff would do. And he was, uh, like I said, just the ultimate bucket lister. And within a year of, uh, you know, him teaching me, uh, a lot of life lessons is when I, you know, thought of the idea for bucket listers. I, I ran my first marathon, uh, and I just, you know, have always wanted to conquer the world just like he did. And, uh, he's just the absolute greatest example ever. And we're so fortunate that Max is, uh, you know, a, a, a identical clone of him. Um, yeah. and, uh, you know, I, I just think, you know, Jeff had such a, incredible impact on all of our lives and we're you know that's really the legacy that that i really strive to have one day is to you know have have young kids who uh you know met me and spend time with me and uh you know we're inspired to just take on huge mountains and conquer the world because because of that it's all out there waiting for you it's it's waiting for everyone and i i do think to a great degree you know the environment and the circumstances that you're born into can predict to a large degree, you know, your, your possibilities. And and some people are faced with a much steeper climb, but even the, even with that in mind, it's, it's all possible. And you, you guys really embody that, you know, you see the world as a endless opportunity. And, and like we were talking about earlier, you know, the only thing that separates one of the only things, not, not the only thing, but what, to a large degree, what separates the people who chase after and and realize their dreams and the people who don't are is pushing beyond those those mental boundaries, those mental borders, those roadblocks, and you know not letting that fear of failure dictate your life and not letting the 
the criticism that you might face dictate your life. So that will become a, a theme in some of these first episodes. And Max and I talk a, a lot about, um, you know, some of the specific things that we learned from Jeff. So I can't any, wait to any... listen. And I can't <laughs> wait to uh, see you both in person tomorrow. Uh, but yeah, I think, you know, Jeff, don't say that I'm releasing this episode live tonight. to (laughs) (laughs) I, uh, you know, Jeff, Jeff showed me what was possible. I didn't know that you could physically, uh, you know, complete an Ironman or, uh, you know, complete the Leadville 100, which is the look it up. It's the most insane bike ride I've ever, uh, witnessed in my life. Jeff was in it with, uh, Lance Armstrong, basically a hundred mile, uh, incline and, uh, you know, he flew his own plane and he just, you know, t- literally treated every single day like an adventure. And I didn't know that was possible before I spent time with him and Max. And uh, that's something that's just always stuck with me. And, uh, you know, I, I wear this bracelet every day to remind me of that, that really anything is possible. And, you know, you, you try to teach kids that. But when you actually get to see a role model do that in real life, it, mm-hmm. uh, it really just expands your preconceived notions of what is possible. And when you think things are possible, you work hard enough to achieve them. And that's, mm-hmm. uh, that's just, you know, optimism and, uh, you know, believing in yourself and, uh, having role models who show you how to do that is just so important. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. You, you said that because I actually, I remember this conversation that I had with Chez when I got back from, South America. And I was, and and this is related to the topic of what traveling can provide you with, you know, your, your different perspectives. I mean, that could be a a whole podcast in itself, but, um, just broadening your awareness of, of the potential outcomes in life and, and, you know, what other people in the world live like. But I remember I, I, I called our close friend, Eric Chesbro, and I said, you know, I remember these people living in these, these, you know, kind of like depressing conditions or these, you know, almost slums. And I said, how, you know, if, if that were me, I would do everything possible to get out of that situation. And, and Eric said something very, very true and very poignant, which is, you know, they might not know there's a different outcome possible. And by having that role model of showing you what, what is possible, you, you say, wow, this is, you know, look at what is possible in this life. And that's, um, that's extremely important. And we're both lucky that we, we, we had that privilege to, to know him. Couldn't agree more. Well said brother. If you're enjoying the all things connected podcast, there's many ways you can show your support. You can write a review on Apple podcasts or on Stitcher, wherever you listen, you can share it with a friend or talk about it on your own podcast. You can post about it on social media, such as sharing your favorite episode, or you can support it directly on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash all things connected. Thank you very much. Your support is much appreciated.